All right. Let's dive into the Word. Amen? All right. Go ahead and open in your Bibles. I think we're going to start with Deuteronomy here today as we continue our series called God's Design. If you don't have a Bible here today, you can raise your hand and someone would love to get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at all, that is our gift to you here today. You can take that Bible home, put your name in it, and read it because Bibles that sit on the shelves... That's right. We're going to talk about parenting here today. What is God's design for parenting? And there is an incredible responsibility here. From the beginning, God's design has been for people to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, right? So for those that are, they are fruitful with, they are called by God to teach and train them for the glory of God. So number one in your handout teach and train teach and train this is a responsibility that we've been given you know it's interesting you don't have to turn there right now but it's in your notes in exodus chapter 20 verse 12 highlights the as the ten commandments are being given this is the first uh, horizontal command that's given the first four if you've never noticed this before are vertical they have to do with our relationship with god and then the last six have to do with our relationship with one another. Isn't it interesting that the first one in relation to our relationship with one another is on children and their parents? This is significant. This is important. God is once again, again giving us a, a grander picture of what He has eternal, eternally planned, the purpose behind it. Um, that he's given to us for, or for this purpose. This relationship that God has with his children is rooted and grounded in love. This is what he has with his son, Jesus. And this is how it works with us as well. This love is demonstrated in obedience. That's why you see the scriptures all over the place. John chapter 15, if you love me, you will obey me. That isn't, now notice what he's not saying there is love me and then you will earn my, uh, earn my affection or earn my love. He says evidence that you truly love me is you are walking in obedience. You're living an obedient life. That's why people get, one of the reasons why people get baptized. This is something that God has called his people to do after they've surrendered their lives to Christ. They are to, they are to give testimony and confession of faith in Christ, identifying themselves with Christ, an outward expression of an inward change, or following Him in obedience. That's not the only thing that they're going to be called to follow Him in obedience, but it's a jump start, isn't it? It's a jump start in that direction. I am following Jesus Christ. I'm identifying myself with the body of believers that I am associated with. And it's shown in love. So God has designed this whole idea of a child, that a child would have a father and a mother to love them. Notice, God's design is a father and a mother in the context of the covenant of marriage that would love them. And this love is demonstrated in teaching them and training them. Huge responsibilities. We're going to get into this here in a little bit. Our greatest responsibility is to teach and train our children in the ways of God. This has to be the highest priority that we have with our children. It's what God calls us to. You and I can teach our son and daughter to hunt, to fish, to 
work hard to do all of these other things, and, 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 and we can, should, whatever. Um, but even those things cannot uh, be put as a priority over teaching and training our children in the ways of God. This is what God has given each one of us as parents. This is why we say so often here at Church of Hope, even as youth pastors and children's directors and so on, and, and as youth leaders and children's leaders, uh, we understand God's design, and so what we want to do within these ministries is simply be a support for what is already happening, knowing that you as parents have been called by God and are going to be held responsible before God in teaching and training your kids in the ways that they should go. The church ministry is a support to that. We want to continue to help, equip parents in doing that, but we understand our role. It's a support role. We as parents, mothers and fathers, have been given this responsibility to teach and train our kids in the ways of the Lord. We have been given this incredible responsibility. How to? Here's what we're to teach them. We're to teach them the Word of God. Did you know that? We're to teach them the Word of God. We're to teach them how to pray. We're to teach them how to praise. We're to teach them what the gospel is, how to share it with others, and how to serve the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you're already there, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I love it that it starts with that. It, it, it's showing us that this is foundational. What are the foundational things that we need to be teaching our kids? Who God is. Who Scripture has revealed God to be. This is who He truly is. This is what we're to be teaching. Begins even with this reality of who God is. You shall love the Lord your God. Here's who God is, and here's how you re should respond to the reality of this being who God is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. It should be in your heart. You shall teach them, verse 7, diligently to your children find that interesting that he would use that word and good that he would use that word diligently this is something that we are to dedicate ourselves to teaching our children diligently these words that God was instructing his people with you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now in context here for what he's, what he's sharing them with them, one of the reasons why he wanted them to, to do this and to let everything in life be about these things, he says, lest, he goes on to this here a little bit later, you can read this later, but he goes on to say, lest you forget. Lest you forget, lest your children forget. Lest the testimony of, of God and the work that He has accomplished, and, and for much of them was this reality that they'd been brought out of Egypt, right? And that they had been set free. Well, if, if you're in Christ today as a parent, you've been brought out of Egypt, haven't you? You've been brought out of darkness. You've come into the light of the, of the kingdom of the Son of His love. 
This is who you are now in Christ. And so you as well have a testimony. This is where God has brought us from. And you teach them these things. It all flows from who God is. And He is worthy of our love and affection. Teach these things diligently. Put the word of the Lord everywhere as a reminder and focus for the direction of our lives together. And all of this was so that no one would ever forget the work that God had done. Uh, the psalmist in one night, Psalm 119 said it this way, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. There's something powerful about hiding the word of God, meditating upon the word of God, teaching the word of God, that takes root in our hearts, that continues to propel us on to become more and more like Christ. Parents, we cannot take this responsibility lightly because it is our God-given responsibility. Dad and Mom, we model the Godhead to our children and all of our unique and separate roles that we've been talking about as we've gone through this series. What is the role that God has given to man? What is the role that God has given to woman? These are to be shown in our lives, in our daily lives, to continue to portray the grander picture to our children of what the Godhead looks like. All of them equally God and yet significant different roles that they each have. This is put on display for our children. Yes, I know, in all of our imperfections and in all of the ways that we come short. And by the way, when you and I sin and come up short of the glory of God, the best thing that you and I can do for our children is to own it, confess it, and repent of it in front of our kids. Did you know that? Some of the greatest conversations and opportunities that I can say that I've had as a parent is doing that. We don't always do it perfectly, yet it's something that should be modeled before our children. We shine the light of the glory of the gospel to our kids when we're confessing sin to them and asking for forgiveness. We're modeling the hope that is only found in Christ. These authority figures that God has put within our lives to demonstrate this reality of the fact that there is a God over the whole universe, right? That every one of us are going to give an account to. That has an awesome plan, that has an awesome purpose for our lives in bringing Him glory. So He has designed things in such a way so that we would have parents and that there would be children and next week we're going to look we're going to talk to the children next week this week we're talking to parents like we've said before we want to look at in point two always how is this being contradicted in our culture today how is this perfect design that god has had from the get-go um how is that being attacked today? What is a reality because of the fall that we're facing here today? Number two in your handout, provoking to anger and role reversal. Provoking to anger and role reversal. In Genesis chapter 4, it lists the whole story of Cain and Abel. 
And think about, think about this reality. Adam and Eve had sinned, had, had fallen, right? Had fallen short of the glory of God. And, and it didn't take very long to see that this was going to have um, a pretty big effect on every single person coming into the world from that point on. And we know, if you know the story at all, we know that Cain um, rose up in anger because God had accepted Abel's offering and he had not accepted Cain's. And God told him even, if you do well, if you do offer that offering with, with, with correctly and, and, you, and you do it in a way that's honoring to me, you will be received as well. But Cain had a heart of rebellion and ended up rising up against his brother and, and killing his brother. And God confronted him with that. But you just see this reality that sin has entered the world now and it is affecting everything. We need to continually be reminded of that, especially as parents, to understand that we are working with people who are our children that are like us. Sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? We always have to be remembering that. And that will do many different things. One of it, it'll, it'll, it'll affect our approach as we work with them. We'll constantly be mindful of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll constantly be reminded of how much we need Christ, as well as how much our children need Christ. And we'll, instead of feeding our kids just morals, 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 we're going to take them to the gospel. As we highlight morals for God's calling and purposes, for our lives and His will for our lives, we're also going to open up the gospel to them and say, do you know something outside of Christ? It is impossible to walk in this. Right? Outside of Christ, it is impossible to live a life that is pleasing to God. You and I know this for ourselves. This is what we also need to be passing on to our children as well. So, how is the this design of God being attacked in the world that we are living in today? Well, one of the areas that is commanded by God in Scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He just got done talking to parents, and he's, or excuse me, he just got done talking to children, and we'll look at this next week. And he, he talked about children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. This is a good thing. Because, once again, there's a grander picture. God is trying to portray the importance of obedience as, as, as a reflection of love that we get to demonstrate that would point us towards the greatest authority, the greatest Father that we could ever know, and that's God Himself. Amen? And who could love us greater than He loves us? Who has more wisdom? Who knows truly what is best for us than our Heavenly Father? Then he goes on to say, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This means that in light of the role of the Father, there could be a tendency towards that. How? Well, when Paul writes about this in the book of Colossians to the church in Colossae, he gives us a clue how we can do that. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, he puts this phrase in there, lest they become discouraged. 
lest they become discouraged. Notice here God's design. Wives, it always talks about, he goes through this responsibility and roles. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as to the head. Husband, love your wives and don't treat them harshly. Children, obey both your parents. This shows how serious the responsibility is upon fathers, doesn't it? And they are not to treat their wives harshly nor discourage their children. Obviously, mom shouldn't just <laughs> be doing that either, but it, notice he puts the responsibility here upon the man. Probably because there would be more of a tendency for that because of their God-given role as leaders. Amen? So he's saying, hey, don't treat... Don't treat your wives harshly. You love them. Right? This is not a I'm large and in charge mentality. This is a, this is a, a serving mentality. This is a loving. How, how is a husband to love their wives? He's to lay his life down for her the same way Christ laid down his life for his bride. This is how we continue to shine the light and the glories of the gospel even in our own marriages. Don't be harsh with, or, or don't lead your children to discouragement. Let's recognize, though, what this is not saying, dad and mom. <laughs> Let's recognize what this is not saying because maybe our kids would want to pull this one on us, right? Mom and dad say I have to go to bed and I'm not feeling like I necessarily want to go to bed. That discourages me. And scripture says, you get where I'm going with that. That they're not supposed to discourage me and I'm becoming discouraged so they should let me stay up as late as I want to stay up. How do we know it's not saying that? Well, the verse right before that says, children, obey your parents for this is right. This is right. So that's not what he's talking about here. But it's interesting that many use that approach. And that falls a little more into the other category that we're going to look at in this role reversal of kids are now in charge. Kids are now calling the shots. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, but, but how? How can we, in, in an ungodly way, provoke our children to anger and they become discouraged? Here's some of the ways that I wrote down, and I'm not going to cover them all. There's probably many more. But these are things that we need to be careful of. Moms and dads, right? Because this is a call to us, but also receive this as well, mothers. Can we do that? How about unrealistic expectations? Right? Set at a bar that's unattainable. And no matter what they do, it's never good enough. That could be a way to provoke a child to anger so that they're discouraged and actually become embittered. Disciplining in anger, that's something that's so important. You say, Pastor Mike, have you ever fallen short in that area? You can ask my kids. They'll tell you the times I've had to come and confess to them. <laughs> um, but my dad, I feel, did a very good job with it. I didn't know why he would send me to my room when he was getting ready to discipline me and it felt like he was just trying to and just build my anticipation for it. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Only as I got older did I realize that if there was a situation where maybe he was heated, he needed to cool off before he came in to apply discipline. I appreciate that now. At the time, it was just building suspense like, oh, let's just get it over with. 
We, are, we should never discipline in anger. Abuse, verbally or physically, we, it can provoke to anger and discouragement. How about showing favoritism towards another sibling? Orchestrating my parenting with selfish motivation. What can I get out of this? How can my child's life benefit me? No compliments. No praise. Only put-downs. Name-calling. Only demanding. Never conversing. Never spending time with them. Divorce can be an area of difficulty. I, I say this all the time. No one suffers more in divorce situations than the children. I've worked with them in youth ministry for years. Teaching morals and never getting to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like I said before, I'm sure there's many more things, but these would just be a few examples of how we can provoke our children to anger, discouragement, and lead them to be embittered towards us, towards God. That's one of the ways I believe the enemy can attack God's design of parents. I believe a more prominent way is what's happening just in our culture here today is that there's a role reversal that's taking place, like I was saying before, where the kids are now in charge. You can't even discipline children biblically anymore. <laughs> we need to. <laughs> we need to. Even the idea that a child should be making decisions at the age of 12 that will affect them for the rest of their lives, that they're capable of doing that is what our culture is teaching today. And if parents want to intervene in that, they will be stopped by the government. That's the day and age that we're living in today. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of monies, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such turn away. He says, as closer and closer that we get to the last of the last days, these things are going to be prominent. Now, you may ask the question, haven't these things always been prominent after the fall? And I would agree with you, absolutely. When have we not had these kind of people on the planet? And, and, and I can remember one of the things that, I, that my dad would talk about. He says, you know, what's different about the day and age that we're living in is these things are being taught today. Right? You... you this, this, is, this, is, this is what's being promoted. You're being taught now that if you are walking in all of these things, you're doing a good and right thing. Calling that which is evil good and good evil. That's the day and age that we're living in here today. And it's even invading the church. I've given you the example before of uh, a passage that is... That, I've heard pastors use for um, the, the passages, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I've heard pastors use it and twist it. And they do a message on loving yourself. Well, there's no way in the context of that passage that you can try to make that. Well, they obviously do. It's not what Jesus is teaching there. Jesus is saying, we all think about ourselves. Now we need to begin to think about others just as much as we think about ourselves. We need to start thinking less about ourselves and more about others. This is what Jesus was teaching there. But this being lovers of pleasure and lovers of self more than lovers of God, this is prominent, like I say, I mean, because we're not being salt and light anymore in the culture that we're living in, what happens? We begin to be affected by the culture that's around us. It's very dangerous. But notice there, in that list of all of those different things, he talks about disobedience to parents. Number three, the way that they should go. How should we respond to this? few practical things here because I think it can become easy for us to look at a child deciding that they would like to change and cut off parts of their body and the parents don't have a say in the matter and we say this is ridiculous right and it is right but we can hone in on those things and yet my challenge would be to us to at very young ages in our kids lives make sure that we've established who the parents are and who the children are. Believe that? I believe that is so important. Teach our kids. In other words, don't allow everything to be encompassed and decided by them. We're the ones that need to be making decisions, especially with our kids in our homes. It's not that we don't give them opportunities to make decisions. But overall, we've been given this call by God in their lives to be able to lead them in the way that they should go. The ideas of a child being able to decide for themselves starts way earlier than just what we're seeing happen even within our cultures here today. You and I need to teach our children to be flexible. I believe that. Flexible to change. Flexible to doing what we know we've been called to do. Take your kids with you in the different areas of ministry that you may be serving and allow them to be a part of that. I think that's huge. I think we're teaching our kids so much by doing that. And don't have the mindset that they're too young for these things or they're too young to comprehend these things. Take them on outreaches. Take them on missions trips. Our kids, and I'm not saying we, we, we've done it all right, so be like us. By any means, I'm not saying that by any means, but I wanted to, at very young ages, begin allowing our kids to be exposed to missions so that as they would be getting older, and there's a flexibility that comes with that. There's a schedule that gets busted up with that. But we can become so, those schedules can become such idols for us. 
that that we're not teaching our kids to be flexible in different circumstances and situations say it might not always work out the way that we think it has to work out in our daily routine and that's okay that's actually a good thing so much so to the point where they get to the as they continue to get older they get they get used to these things like these things become normal in relation to ministry, in relation to serving the Lord, in relation to mission trips and so on. Start young so that they become normal. Here's the other thing that I want to encourage all of us with. I need to hear this here today as well, okay? <laughs> We've got to be careful. Don't allow sports activities to trump teaching and training our kids in godliness. Sports can be a good thing when it's used correctly. But I'm telling you, there's a deliberate push. I think it's from the enemy to use youth sports as a vehicle to occupy the space and time reserved for getting together as a people of God. It's working overtime at that. And just like I've said before in relation to our kids washing us when we worship and, and, and they're gleaning they're gleaning whether this is exciting or whether we're bored out of our minds by our body language, right? <laughs> In the same way, we set the tone. If we begin to give room for these sporting activities to dominate our lives, we're speaking volumes to our kids as to the place that these things should have in our lives. Be careful with these things. Don't allow them to become the idols that they've become in so many places. If you recognize them taking over, make some changes. Make some changes in them. And we as parents are the ones who have been called to make those decisions. That's why it's called parenting. Right? It's not called best buddies. It's called parenting. And guess what? Our kids aren't always going to be the most excited about these decisions that we're making. Did you know that? But you don't have to believe that you've done something wrong just because they're not that excited. They can't see the full picture yet. Can you attest to, as I know I can within my own life, there's things I did not get, did not understand. Why can we do these things? And why can't we do these certain things? I think you're trying to keep me from having a good time. Right? But then there's so many things that now as I become a parent, I begin to see these things and like, oh, that's why. <laughs> right? Why? Because I didn't see it. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't see the full picture. I couldn't comprehend these things. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way they should go. So that when they're older, they will not depart from it. This is our mandate, in the way that they should go. This is the path that we are to be on and have them on with us. Now again, you and I cannot make a decision for our children that they follow Christ, can we? But we're to lead them in the way that they should go. It's very similar to our responsibility in evangelism with anyone, right? You'll be witnesses, we're witnesses, the Holy Spirit does the work. But we need to be faithful witnesses that are pointing them in the right direction. That are prioritizing the things within our lives that should be prioritized within our lives. And when we recognize that we're, 
that, that we're falling short and there's something out of alignment, like anything else, we need to make those things right. Confess them. Repent of them. And bring it into alignment with, with the way that they should go. I already said this. We're not called to be buddies with our kids. We're called to be parents. Discipline is a sign of love and a lack of it is a sign of hate according to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. You have that in your notes there with you. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, we're going to end on this here today. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My sons, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, full circle here, Right? Don't we begin by talking about this? Teaching, training, disciplining, all of these are signs of godly love. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and He scourges every son whom He receives. To himself, every son or daughter in his kingdom that is truly a son or daughter in his kingdom is going to get discipline. It's how it's meant to work. Unless we don't think we can draw the connection between our parenting and Christ's parenting of us, what does he go on to say? If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Again, it's a sign of it's 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 a reflection of hatred, actually, where there's no discipline. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirit and live, spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days. What's he telling us? He's saying, parents, you have a few days. <laughs> you have a few days, right? You're not going to be disciplining their kids when they're 25. You're not going to be disciplining them when they're 20. They for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his, whole, his, his holiness. Now, no chasing, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present. <laughs> Any, nobody likes discipline. Nobody, in the moment, and likes what it is, what's happening in the moment. It's not enjoyable. It's not something that that anybody, whether, whether as children of God or, or our kids who are under our household, under our leadership, is enjoying these, this discipline. It's painful. 
It may be hard, but nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that good? It yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. This is how we respond to the direction that our culture is going, is continuing to remember, no, we've been called by God to teach, to train, given a role and responsibility within our kids' lives. It's not saying that we're better than them. It's a responsibility that God has given us. We're to be mindful of the different ways that we can provoke them to anger and that they can become embittered, not only towards us, but towards God. And we need to be reminded of God has placed us within their lives as parents. And He wants us to respond in that way. Training them up in the way that they should go. Not in the ways that maybe their flesh would want right now. But training them up in the ways that they should go. Notice it's a futuristic approach. So that when they're older, it's a futuristic approach. That we take seriously, even now. Teach them the gospel. Use every opportunity to point towards the truth that we are sinners, but He is the only Savior. I share that in closing because there's a difference of just teaching our kids good morals, but never getting to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what you're going to walk away with there, and I've seen it happen so many times, what you're going to walk away with is a moralistic ideology. And Christianity becomes nothing more than here's what you do as a Christian, here's what you don't do. Right? Just as long as you can do these things and stay away from these things, you're going to be okay. And they can still be lost and dead in their sins. And actually, even in a worse place because they haven't recognized their need for a Savior. And so what do you do? You teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You put it on display. You talk about the reality of all of us being sinners in need of a Savior. And there's only one who can save, and that's Jesus Christ. And then what starts happening is you begin having children that get born again. Right? That see it and get born again. Now the Spirit of God is living inside of them. And they don't live a perfect life from that point, have you? They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do stupid stuff. And you help them and you guide them, just like we need to be helped and guided, right? But I, I, I really believe this because... Man, when I was a youth pastor, it was always the big, the big question. What are we going to do to keep our kids from, you know, because it was the, the popular conversation, probably still is even now. All these kids are, are growing up, and as soon as they get out into college and out of the household, they're all running away. And, um, and there was all different kinds of answers that were given, being given for these things. 
And so many of them were not addressing what I believe was the, is the real issue. And that is that we've been teaching morals, but not the gospel. So these hearts are not being transformed. They're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they're let go, they're just doing what's true of their nature to do. Because the nature is never, we, they never received a new nature. You were able to keep them in a pen for a little bit of time. But as soon as they got outside of that pen that you had for them, they ran. Why? Because the nature hadn't been changed yet. But preach the gospel. Let young people be confronted with the reality that they are sinners in need of a Savior and only Christ can save. And they cry out to God for mercy. Allow them to see their need for a Savior. And they cry out to God for mercy. And they receive the Holy Spirit inside of them. Watch what happens. He's faithful. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He will do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are a great God who does great things. Help us to be the parents that you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to shine the light upon your glorious gospel. Let there be transformation in hearts and lives, Lord. Do that work that only you can do and help us to be the, the witnesses that you've called us to be. Filled with your Holy Spirit, continually pointing our children towards you. And may Jesus be honored and glorified through it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.